Great are you, Lord. So through the written word and the spoken word, may we encounter the living word for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm not going to ask, but if I were to ask you and you were to be honest, I wonder how many people would admit to being very anxious today. I guess there would probably be a quite a large number, and for a host of reasons. You see, we worry about the terrible troubles in the Middle East, and so we should. And that other parts of the world, too, trouble us. We worry about our divided and unfair society. We worry about the environment. We worry about racial and religious and other kinds of discrimination. We worry about the breakdown of personal relationships. We worry about the negative influences upon our children and young people in the world. And we could go on with the list. And I guess this morning, many of you are feeling a little anxious. And these issues are complex. The solutions are difficult to navigate. But at the heart of it are men, women, and children who lack peace in their lives. And in some situations, people are suffering terribly. So how can we, as Christians, begin to know the secret of peace for us and for our world? Many of you, I guess, will be coming to Holy Communion today uh, because you find that a helpful way of finding peace, communion with your God in the midst of it all. I remember my daughter, once aged four, uh, said, Daddy, why do you always say at communion, a peace of the Lord be with you? I said, it wasn't a peace of the Lord, it was the peace of the Lord. But uh, it's an easy thing to miss here. But in a sense, when we come to communion, we want just a peace of the Prince of Peace in our hearts. And as we read through the Bible, we see that it's full of conflict between families, neighbors, and nations. And yet somehow through the Bible, there is hope, the promise of peace. And the 365 or more times it says, do not be afraid. In today's lesson, Paul is signing off a letter to the church at Philippi. Now, we're not sure where Paul was located when he wrote this. We know he was in prison So the Philippians may have read this knowing that they might never see Paul again. And in short, in these words in Philippians 4, we have a heartfelt cry for the church to keep faith. After all Paul had done, there he is in prison. He's saying to the church, you mustn't let division and dissent spoil the fellowship that you have. You see, there'd been a falling out in the church. Now, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> it happens. And the church in Philippi was fracturing under pressure, this new young church. And it does happen. And as Pope Francis once warned, division is the weapon the devil employs most to destroy the church from within. I believe that's true, and I dare I say it's not just the church. 
I think devil uses division to destroy the world, too. How tragic to witness the discord going back generations in the so-called holy city of Jerusalem. How ironic that the Holy Land at the moment is far from holy, and peace is elusive in the land of the Prince of Peace. In the whole of that land, on all the different sides, with all the different people groups, it's a tragedy there isn't peace. Now, people will always disagree with one another, but I believe we need to find a way of disagreeing agreeably. So it's not wrong to disagree, but it's how we do it. We need respect and tolerance in the world. And the world is stronger and there's far more power when there is unity. Now, going back to our reading, just as men bicker at times, and we read that in the pages of the New Testament, well, the women aren't exempt from that. Uh, They were actually active in the ministry of the early church, which is good. Uh, But they had their moments as well. And here, two female co-workers were in dispute, uh, Euodia and Sintichi. And Paul was pleading with each of them. He says, I plead with you, Euodia, I plead with you, Sintichi, to have the same attitudes and values as Christ. Now, we know nothing about these ladies, really, or what the issue was just that their disagreement was actually quite serious and disruptive enough to have reached Paul's ears in prison. And so Paul calls them to repair their damaged relationship. To help, with the help of others, they're called to stand firm in the Lord. And it was the only way for the church community at that time to find healing and to rediscover its joy if they were to stand together in the Lord. And Paul then gives them some practical tips which highlight a way of being and a way of behaving that if we choose that way, it will help minimize division and quarrels, but also help us find that secret to peace. Now, it's not exhaustive, but you can imagine Paul there in his prison saying, oh, what can I say? What have I learned? And so, if we want the God of peace to be with us in all we do, he suggests these five things. First of all, and it sounds a bit odd, we should rejoice. That's not really what you want to do, is it, when you're having an argument? But Paul wants the church at Philippi to taste God's joy. So, he tells them to rejoice, and twice in a single sentence, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. When the world's in a mess and our lives are in a mess, we need to turn to the Lord and be reminded of what's important. We've been given the gift of life and we should be thankful to God for that gift. And getting that gift in perspective is really important. We should rediscover the joy of simple things. And when we feel we don't want to worship, that's actually when you need to worship. Remember that time when you say, I don't feel like going to church today. You see, the church at Philippi needed to rejoice and to remember all that Christ had done for them, to remember all that Paul had done for them. 
And by turning to the Lord, they would be reminded of all that they have and find some thankfulness and get things in perspective. So the first thing is we're called to rejoice. And I call you as a church, let's keep worshipping together. Let's rejoice and get things in perspective. The second thing is we should be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all, St. Paul says. When we're divided and we lack peace, what happens? We get defensive, we get ratty, we seek to win the argument, we demand justice, whatever it takes, and we get belligerent often in the process. Now, no single word uh, in the, uh, uh, translates uh, gentleness, really. The, the Greek word is epiakis, and the closest element to it probably is selflessness. Well, I think that's actually quite good, because a gentle person doesn't insist on their rights in unhelpful ways. They may feel they're right, that Jesus was always considerate and respectful. He knew how and when to turn the other cheek. And he gave himself in love and self-sacrifice, even for his enemies. Paul was saying, if there are disputes, we need to possess that spiritual gift of gentleness that our ever-present Lord requires. And he is present, and he sees what's going on in the world. The third thing Paul scribbles uh, as he's in his cell is you should not worry or worry not. <laughs> These are what, this is what he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now come on Paul, <laughs> that might seem impossible but with God all things are possible. And this, there is a call here I think to have faith. It's not saying that worry won't come to us, but what do we do with the worry? That's, that's what I think Paul is saying here. Worry is what we do with worry when we face issues. We should trust in Jesus. And peace is what we have when we face challenges with faith. No one has a perfect life. All of you will have worries. I have worries. Everybody has something in your life. But how, what do we do with that? And we shouldn't compare ourselves to others. Oh, look at them. They've got, and I haven't. And why is this happening to me and not happening to them? We continually compare ourselves to each other. Jesus never promised that life would be easy. He never promised us our lot. But he did promise to be with us in and through all things. And so when the worry comes in, and it takes nurturing the practice of doing this, we need to not worry, but to have faith. Our fears, cares, concerns are like rocks in a bag, which come with us as we come to worship, but we lay them at the foot of the cross. And we say, Lord, this is my life. I trust you. Help me. Help me in my situation. Professor Tom Wright wrote, in the pagan world of Paul's day, anxiety was a major factor in daily life, to be kept at bay by ceaselessly appeasing the malevolent deities. Since the true God is revealed in Jesus, this anxiety can and should be replaced 
by celebration. We have got to work at it if you want the peace, undreamed of in a place like Philippi. So what he's saying is that people will try all kinds of things to deal with worry. Sometimes we need to learn to rejoice, to worship, to have faith. Now that doesn't mean we don't care about things, but we need to find a way of being set free from the strain. So when you're in bed and the worries are going round and round in circles and you can't sleep, say a prayer. Ask God to help you. Remember he is with you and it can make a difference. Handing our worries to the Lord, trusting him a little bit more than we tend to do. The fourth thing that Paul says, when there is division in your life and the world and the church, we should pray at all times. He says this, in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Often we stoke up anxiety by not turning to God in prayer. As with worship, when we least feel like praying, we tend not to pray and we need to pray. We don't always need to find the words. We just need to bring what's in our hearts as an ache before God. Romans 8.26 speaks of God's Spirit interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I've certainly done some groaning before the Lord. And in a sense, there is a release as we are honest with God about everything. Yet when we pray, God answers according to his perfect will. Few understand how prayer works, but Jesus taught by example and taught us to pray, and it makes a difference. Our prayer is often the least used tool that the, in the toolkit that the Christian has at their disposal. It's there, but why don't we use it more often? And at all times. Prayer can make such a difference, even if the answer's not as we expect. Prayer changes things. And if you can't feel it changing for you, pray for someone else. Because you will find they will come back and they will say, your prayers made a difference. And sisters and brothers, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As Joseph Scriven wrote in his hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The last thing, you'll be glad about that. Paul puts in his own words, but he, I put it down as we should focus on the good stuff. Uh, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When things are not good, we need to focus on the things that are life-giving for us. They help counter the barrage of negativity and unwholesome things that can oppress us doesn't help with social media and the news messages coming through all the time, the barrage of bad news. We take care, don't we? Well, we should do. Take care of what goes into our mouths because of our bodies. We're constantly reminded that it makes a difference. But do we take care about what goes into our minds and how that affects the soul? 
I think actually there's much that destroys the soul because we're not feeding the soul with the kind of things that Paul says we're to focus upon. And then he goes on, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, we hope that was some of the good things, or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. If we are feeding our minds and our hearts with good things, we're reading the Bible, we're, we're listening to inspirational music, we're actually looking at good news stories, we're, we're trying to hear the good testimony of others, the wholesome things in the world, if we feed ourselves with that and then try to put some of those things into practice in our life, we can change the environment in the world and help to bring about peace. If you watch violent videos all the time, you're likely to find that violence appears in your life. If you watch something that's more wholesome, in another way, it can change how we are. So being a Christian doesn't mean that our problems suddenly disappear. It certainly doesn't go away with one prayer. It takes work and commitment. And Paul knew that in prison. But despite his chains he still found peace. And he could write to those who were arguing, even though he probably felt like arguing with the people who put him in prison, but he wrote to them and said, you need to find peace in your heart. And he clearly had it. Because he said, you need to rejoice, be gentle, worry not, pray, and focus on the good stuff. You probably won't remember all of that. But I pray something of that may enter into your worry at the moment. And I conclude with uh, those words that are there in verse 7. And I just want to read that last uh, piece to you as a prayer. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God can guard your heart and your mind. And I pray that that may be true for us and for the world. And that as we grasp something of what it means to be one in Christ, we may be peacemakers in the world and make our contribution to what we hope the world can be. Amen. We sing together what a friend we have in Jesus.